Gospel of John, chapter 9. My subject this morning is simply the blind receive their sight. If you recall, Jesus healed a lame man back in John chapter 5. I preached that a number of weeks ago at a pool that was called Bethesda. The man had been in that condition back in John chapter 5 for 38 years. And Jesus begins the conversation with him by asking him, does he want to be healed? And then goes ahead and heals him. And that healing, as miraculous as it was, as amazing and a turning point in the life of this lame man, it sparked controversy because Jesus did it on the wrong day. He healed him on the Sabbath. Jesus should have waited till the next day or the day before but it sparked tremendous controversy. Well, in this passage that we're going to read today, Jesus is at it again. It would be easy to say that the religious leaders were focused on the wrong thing back in John chapter 5 and here in John chapter 9. It would be equally easy to say and valid to say that not only were they focused on the wrong thing, but in essence, they were blind. So as we enter the ninth chapter and we see Jesus is at it again, let's hold on to that theme. John chapter 9, I will begin reading in verse number 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and he said to him go wash in the pool of, of Siloam which is translated sent so he went and washed and came back seeing therefore the neighbors of and, and those who previously had seen that he was blind said is not this he who sat up and begged some said this is he others said he is like him he said I am he Therefore they said, Have, how, are, how were your eyes opened? And he said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and, received, and I received sight. And he said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Now, I'm going to only focus on those first 12 verses because I want to talk about the impact of what Jesus did in another message probably next week I will speak about the controversy he called for the very next verse John chapter 9 verse number 13 says they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees now it was the Sabbath 
when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Really is a shame that Jesus just can't get with the weekly schedule. So this healing of the blind man, like the healing of the lame man, happened on the Sabbath. And again, the response of the religious leaders is a focus that's off. When Jesus and his disciples came upon the man, it sparked, for some reason, this theological conversation. First, it's really not clear from this story how they knew he had been born blind. That's not given to us, so we don't know why they knew, other than I can lean on the fact that my Jesus knows everything. The disciples, in verse number two, wanted to know who sinned. They asked a question, let's be honest today, that so many of us ask in so many situations of life. When something bad happens, we want to know whose fault it was. Who caused this? Who can we blame? Was it him or his parents? Now, I have to admit, the man was born blind. Why even make him an option? He was born blind. The options just seem silly. Their focus is that when something bad happened, when something as tragic as this happened, somebody had to be responsible and somebody had to be held accountable. And in so many ways, the disciples of Jesus, like the religious leaders we'll talk about next week, they were also blind. They were of the opinion that there could only be two possibilities here. Now, there are those situations in our lives when only two possibilities exist. For instance, either God is real or he is not. There's no in-between. There are only two possibilities. You were either, yes, I'm going to go here. You were either born a boy or you were born a girl. There are no other possibilities. No in-between. In addressing their mental blindness, Jesus first had to correct their logic, correct their way of thinking. And his first words to them in verse number three, neither. Neither him nor his parents. Now you see the assumption was based on a deeper idea that all pain, all suffering, all affliction, all distress is the end result of divine punishment. Let's be honest. What's the first thing, or one of the first things that goes through our mind when we go through a difficult time, a difficult illness? Lord, what am I doing wrong? Why me? We're looking for some way to connect this to something we can undo and go in a different direction. They believe that there's always a connection between bad things happening and the specific individual sin. Somebody, either them or really close to them, had to have done something wrong. This reminds me of friends of a man in the Bible named Job. With all the mountain of things that happened to Job, these friends kept coming back. Job, what did you do? 
Job chapter 4, the first friend, Elphaz, comes to him and says, starting in verse number 3, Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who is stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Is not your reverence and is not your reverence your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity will and sow trouble will reap the same. This friend, friend, is basically saying, all this is happening to you. Job, what'd you do? Now, do me a favor. If you're ever going through a difficult season of life and you have friends like this coming to you, find new friends. <laughs> because they're not going to help you. And yet, before we dismiss this thinking, before we completely dismiss it as having absolutely no basis in anything, the Old Testament has many examples where the children of Israel experienced individual and national affliction that was directly tied to their sin. Even a surface reading of the book of Judges will almost every other chapter or every chapter begins with, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. Yet with all this history, to rush to judgment that every affliction, every pain, every ounce of suffering is God's judgment on sin is blind. The suffering and pain that Jesus went through wasn't the result of any sin in his life. It was the result of our sin. And the truth is, I don't know how encouraging this will be today, but we live in a world where bad people do bad things. I know that was really profound. And we're grateful and we give God praise every day for he protects us from so many things. But things still happen. I'll have to admit, last Wednesday night, not this previous one, the previous one before, as I'm sitting at my desk doing some work for school and doing some work for the church, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing because I'm studying God's word, and I just shift in my chair from the right to the left, and my back goes out. I'm like, what did I do? Since when did sitting become a, a source of divine judgment? And I got up, and I went, oh, this is not good. Lord, what did I do? Sin does have consequences. And it's not just on those directly involved, but on those who are around them. And sadly, in our world, often on the weakest among us, often on the children. But the New Testament does teach so many Christians don't like to embrace this teaching that difficult times are the seasons of life when you grow. It is in those seasons, I've often said this, we enjoy the sunshine. We bask in the sunshine. We grow in the rain. We, that's when we grow the best. James chapter 1, 
verses 2, 3, and 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So God wants me to have this back problem and rejoice. Count it all joy. Hallelujah. I can't walk three feet without feeling something. Thank you, Jesus. It seems disingenuous, doesn't it? Trials, according to the Lord, are a time to grow. It should be comforting to us to realize that God, as we just sang, loves us so much that he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants you and I to grow to the best version of ourselves we can be. That the trials that we go through are a time of faith production. When the factory of faith gets put into motion and the wheels get turning and you and I grow, increase. And if our faith doesn't increase, gets what? I guess we need more trials. So my suggestion is that when that factory keeps go, uh, gets going, get on board. Just, just learn what we need to learn, as Joyce Meyer will always say, or you'll be around this mountain once again. Not only should they help us grow, but the truth is, and this is where we as Christians get a greater perspective on life, because these trials help our overall perspective as Christians. Romans chapter 8, verse number 18, you know the verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the, with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. One day, in heaven, I'm going to be sitting down someplace, and I'll shift from the right to the left, and nothing will happen. <laughs> Aren't you glad that in heaven, there won't be any canes? There won't be any wheelchairs? My thinking was, Lord, with my back, what did I do? But then we're given the opportunity as his people, as believers, to not look at now, but to look forward. One day, words like cane and wheelchair will not be in our vocabulary. One day, I will wake each morning, and I won't have to check my blood sugar. One day, I can consume all the ice cream I want in the world, and there will be no impact whatsoever. Like the old hymn says, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. There better be ice cream in heaven. For these disciples, it wasn't that the question they asked was completely off, but it reflected a lack of insight. It reflected a narrow and really small thinking. Rather than ask why something happened to me, let's wonder as his people, God, look at what's happening to me. What are you going to do that is so miraculous, that is so wonderful, it's going to bring glory and honor to your name? Amen. We look to his power as the hope of our lives each and every day. Every time I'm reminded of how frail 
and how limited I am. I think of my God, who is neither frail nor limited. My God is all-powerful. He is able to take us from our frail and limited state and reveal his glory. I don't need to be at the top of my game because he owns the whole game. He is always God. Only God knows why we go through the things we go through. And to say that there are things that happen that don't make sense to us is an understatement. But as his people, as people who said yes to Jesus, you and I have been given a promise. Aren't you glad God keeps his promises? You and I have been given a promise, many promises. And one of those is in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean all things are good, but that means that no matter what I go through, that God's got a purpose and he has the power to take any tragic situation, any difficult season, and bring something good out of it. Bring something that would inspire someone else. Bring something that would strengthen my faith. Our God can take the worst pain, the most unimaginable suffering, the most confusing events, and bring about his glory. And isn't his glory what we seek? We say it all the time, Lord, reveal your glory. What better time to reveal your glory than in my weakness, than in my frailty, when, I, when it's absolutely no way possible, I'm going to get any glory. I assure you, as strong as I try to be, that I am standing here today because of the power of Almighty God and nothing else. It's because of him, not me, and this wonderfully strong pulpit that I am holding on to dearly. So that's our prayer each day. Lord, reveal your glory in me. Reveal your glory, Lord, through my weaknesses. Lord, reveal your glory through my limitations. Lord, reveal your glory through my mistakes. Now, I know nobody here makes mistakes. But you can help somebody else, possibly. Lord, reveal your glory through my infirmities. It's not just a saying that looks good on plaques and coffee mugs. Truly, the deep truth for the believer is when I am weak, only then am I strong. Because I serve a powerful God. Jesus, reveal your glory through me any way you choose. Now, it takes a strong faith to say that and mean it. I would rather, Lord, reveal your glory through me in ways that aren't too difficult for me to deal with. Reveal your glory through me in ways that don't involve too many annoying people. Lord, reveal your glory in ways through me that really aren't going to set me back too much. No. Lord, reveal your glory through me any way you wish. I am your servant. Of all the things that Job went through, 
And it wasn't enough that he had one blind friend. He had three of them. That each unloaded on him about how he must have done something. And they basically pleaded with him. I guess you could call it caring. I wouldn't. But they, they might be called caring people. They kept saying, Lord, uh, uh, Job, just admit you blew it somehow. Just admit your sin. Just admit this is all your fault. And then God will have mercy on you. Blind. They were blind to the truth. And we have to be careful as Christians not to be as blind. Not to think that we can look at any situation and just by our observation, which is always going to be limited, that we will know it all. If you've been around me for any length of time over the last four and a half years as your pastor, you've noticed I have no problem saying I don't know. And there's a lot of things I don't know. But he wants to work in us. And he said in this passage, in verses 4 and 5, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus does something that is so eloquent and so dainty and so dignified. He spits on the ground and makes mud. And then takes that mud and throws it in the blind man's face. One of the blessings for that blind man is that he couldn't see the mud coming. He couldn't see the, the whole creation process of the mud. Why did Jesus do it this way? I don't know. And I can honestly say, with every fire of my beaming, uh, being, not trying to be uh, flippant, I don't care. Jesus, heal me any way you want. It was wrong of the disciples to focus on who sinned. And just as blind as the blind man was. It would be just as blind for us to focus on how the healing came. Because what matters is verse number 7. So he went and washed and came back seeing. If someone's been lame and unable to walk for 38 years and you now see them and they're running and jumping, shouldn't the first thing be, isn't this great? Amen. Yes, we're going to ask, what happened? Jesus healed me. How? Who cares? <laughs> Jesus healed me. Jesus healed the blind man's physical sight and he provided an opportunity for the mental blindness of his disciples to be healed. And the truth is, many of us need the same healing of blindness. Emotional blindness. Being able to get past the past issues of our lives and move to a place where we can forgive because we're looking at something that is fixed in time. Anyone ever been in a situation where you had this difficult time with someone and there was a separation in their relationship and 10, 20 years go by and you come into their presence again and you can't see them for where they are now. All you see is 20 years ago. I don't know anybody who stays the same for 20 years. They're either better or they're much worse, but they're not the same. 
and it is blindness to fix somebody in time. And God can heal us of that blindness. Then there's religious blindness. Well, you do realize because I'm a Christian and I follow Jesus that I'm better than all you creepy pagans. Blind. That thinking is blind. And then there's attitude blindness. When we think we know how God works. There's another sermon, I haven't preached it here, and it's basically entitled Different by Design. And it looks at three different situations in the Bible, in the Gospels, where Jesus healed the blind man. This story is one of them, where he spit on the ground, created mud, and the man was healed. In another one, he just spoke a word, and the man was healed. In the third situation, he didn't spit on the ground, he spit in the man's face. Go Jesus. And he was healed. In each situation, the most important part of the story is that the men were healed. And then I tell this story of I picture these three men years later sitting on the front row of the first church of God of Jerusalem. I always make it a church of God. And they're sitting there and they're waiting for the service to start. And they start talking to each other. And one says, I met the master one time. Another one says, yes, I met him too. And the third one says, that's great. He healed me of blindness. And the other two say, he healed me of blindness too. And they begin to rejoice that they were healed by blindness, by his presence, and by his miracle-working power. And one of them says, yeah, it was a little strange. He spit on the ground and created mud and threw the mud in my face. And the other two go, what? That's not how you get healed by blindness. In my case, Jesus just spoke the word. And the th third one goes, you're both wrong. He's got to spit in your face in order for you to get healed by blindness. And the three of them have what never happens in churches today, is they have a discussion and a debate and an argument on how Jesus is allowed to heal. And what happens back in the first century has happened in church history since then. The three of them leave that church and go out and start their own churches. He got the church of the living and insensitive word, the church of the glorified mud, and the church of the Holy Spit. Church, we are different by design. And Jesus can do whatever he wants in our lives. Now, I would prefer he just speak a word. I'm not keen about mud being thrown in my face, and I think you can sense what I feel about the third option. But isn't the, re the revealing of his glory what matters most? Isn't him getting all the praise? And that's going to take blindness being healed. So yes, in this story, the blind man received his sight. My question today for us, myself included,
is what areas am I blind? And where does my blindness need to be healed? Can Jesus take my blindness and help me receive sight? Because all that matters is Jesus move. Do what you want. Do it however you'd like, and I will give you the glory. Stand with me, please. Well, you stand. I may sit. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I'd like us to sing that last song we sang. Because all that matters is that his glory be revealed. And there are so many difficult seasons of our lives where we need to realize that all that matters is, oh, how he loves us. Church, oh, how he loves us. He loves us so much. So let's sing that again as I make my way down there.